Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, maybe uh, you have watched the nature shows like Planet Earth or Blue Planet. Nature shows that really reveal to us the, the grandeur, the greatness, but also the intricacies of creation. And although as we watch these shows and we recognize the profit that we can get from that, it is irritating that many such nature shows replace the name of God with the word evolution. And we notice that they give glory and, and worship to a theoretical process that they have personalized rather than to the God who reveals himself. But even as we're watching uh, the, the, the beauty of creation, it doesn't take long to realize how inconsistent this talk of, of evolution is. For the discerning observer can quickly see that the very creature, creatures and, and the very places in the world that they are showcasing, they defy and disprove the evolutionary process that they refer to. Rather than hide, the God, hide God, the heavens declare the glory of God, like we sing and read in Psalm 19. When we read and study Psalm 104, well, then God reveals that all things are from him, through him, and to him, so that to him belongs the glory forever. So it's very good to have your Bibles open in Psalm 104. We'll be looking closely at that. We didn't, I didn't read that to you, but it was much more pleasant to sing it all together and hear the whole congregation confess this truth of Psalm 104, but as we, as, as we look at this psalm, we realize that, that all that we're seeing in the world around us is, is clear, clearly pointing to the intelligent, personal, divine creator, and that's what is being praised, and he is the one being praised in Psalm 104. It fits very well also with all that we may have learned if we had the opportunity to go to the Christian Science Weekend uh, these past days here in, in Edmonton. And when we open our Bibles and when we follow along with the words of Psalm 104, we can see that the Holy Spirit is using poetic language to describe the facts of creation that we read about so clearly in Genesis chapter 1. And it's clear that this psalm stands behind and confirms what we confess in the first part of the Apostles' Creed. So already, if you think about that, already more than, than, than a thousand years ago, although they were standing in the midst of all sorts of explanations for the origin of, of the beautiful world that, that they were seeing at that time as, as we also see today, but then armed with the Word of God, the church began her confession with the declaration that the creator of heaven and earth is the God that we may call Father for the sake of Jesus Christ. I preached to you the gospel of Jesus Christ under this theme, the sovereign creator is Father to all who believe in Jesus Christ. We'll see his sovereign power and secondly, his fatherly care. As we see his sovereign power, very clearly from Psalm 104. The first four verses describe what this world looks like from the vantage point of a person standing on the earth. 
And we can follow the, the pointing finger of the poet who describes the, the skies overhead to say that it looks like the dome of a blue and white tent that has been placed over Edmonton and the surrounding areas with its beams resting on the shimmering distant horizon. Although at night, you can see through the dome of the atmosphere and see the amazing stars on the other side. During the day, the light of the sun is so bright that we can't see past the sun and, and the blue skies. As the wind blows the clouds through the skies, you can see that in verse three, 3 and 4. As the wind is blowing the, the clouds through the skies, it, it serves like wings carrying along a cloud chariot. And sometimes that cloud chariot shoots forth lightning, like, like, uh, like flaming fly, fire. And when we see all this, we ask, how can a little significant person here on the earth describe these marvels? And the Holy Spirit tells us that all that majesty and all that splendor of creation that's so visible in the heavens, all that is the handiwork of the Lord God. He is so great and so powerful that he is beyond and, and above the furthest reaches of our vision, even with a telescope. He clothes himself with light. We read he stretches the heavens. He controls the clouds. Yes, all these wonderful things that go beyond our own abilities are to the most high compared to very common things like clothes, the tent, his car. In Psalm 104, verses 5 to 9, the Holy Spirit poetically describes the narrative description of Genesis 1, verses 1 to 10, to show that the Lord who sits on his majestic throne in his sovereign holiness is not only above and beyond all that we see, but he is the origin of all things. All things come from him. Psalm 104 verse 5 tells us that like a, a person might build his home or his office on a, on a firm foundation, so the Lord set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. The earth that he set in its place in the universe is described as the deep that was covered by a garment of waters that even covered the mountains. And then God rebuked the waters, we read about God rebuking the waters, all the oceans, all the waters in the earth, obeying the voice of the Lord. And they went to their place. They're held in by the limits that the Lord God established from the midst of his lofty throne, verses seven and nine. And we read the mountains rose out above and the valleys sunk below, exactly according to the plan of a caring father who was preparing a home for the creatures that he would make. The Holy Spirit teaches us that the Lord God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. He is the origin and the creator of all that we see around us. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. The Lord God is very great, verse 1. And after he had made everything and arranged it, he continues to be actively involved in very practical ways. 
Psalm 104, verses 10 to 30, teach us to see the hand of the sovereign God behind the springs of water gushing forth in the valleys. Maybe you've had an opportunity to go hiking, to see a stream gushing through through the valleys. You can see behind that the hand of the Lord who ordained all these things. He's put that there to feed the beasts of the earth while the birds of the air are are singing their songs in the branches beside the streams. And who is behind the rain falling upon the mountains and satisfying the earth with its life? At verse 13, who's behind that if it is not the sovereign creator who cares for the earth from his lofty abode? And as the farmers gather in the silage for their livestock, to gather in the plants that they were able to cultivate for your food and for your drink. Our eyes lift to God on high in thankfulness for the wine that gladdens the heart, the essential oils that make our face shine, and the bread and other food that gives us the strength we need for the day. Verses 16 to 18 describe the the wild terrain of forests and mountains. It's very good for your faith to to get out of the concrete of the city once in a while. You're lifted up to, to praise the Lord. As you think about the birds and the storks and the wild goats and the rock badgers, we sang conies. That's the same as a rock badger. All these animals out there in the wild, they don't, they don't depend on any person, on, on any man in any way. But we confess and we sing that they are in the care of the sovereign God whose power extends far beyond the strength of, of all the nations of the world put together. And then we lift up our eyes through that dome and we see the moon. We see the sun. We think about the seasons, the daily cycle of darkness and light. I don't know how many times you, you think of that, maybe just a bit to grumble now that it's dark when you wake up. But that daily cycle of darkness and, and, and light, that's the Lord at work. And we see the sovereign God. He's controlling when the lion goes back into his den, when the man wakes up to go to his daily task. Verses 20 to 22. Day creatures, like we humans were made to be, work during the day, but we stop and go home in the evening. That's the Lord God behind all that we sing in Psalm 104. The Lord God established an order, and in his manifold wisdom, he is completely behind the daily activities of every creature. And then look at all the creatures that the Lord has made. Suggested that maybe the children want to draw a picture of of the favorite animal. And as they were thinking of that, I'm sure they were thinking of all the the different creatures they know. Which one could be the favorite? What, What a variety. What a display of God's wisdom. And just think about the oceans and all their their vastness and depth. Maybe we want to choose an animal from the ocean as our favorite. Well, we're still discovering sea creatures that we haven't seen before. 
We're still mapping out what the bottom of the sea even looks like with all our technology. It still takes weeks to find this huge blue whale in the midst of all the oceans. And has anyone seen the Leviathan that is mentioned in verse 26? It's playing under the water, in the water, under the the little ships that, that we made that we think are so huge. Well, the Holy Spirit tells the people of God that every one of these animals in in all the earth, they look to the God we worship for their food in due season. God created all things. He, He feeds them or he withholds food. And he also takes away their breath at his appointed time. We we read in verses 28 to 30, so that they die and return to the dust, so the earth can continue through the next generation as the Spirit is overseeing that continual renewal of the face of the ground through new life. Do you realize how much you depend on the power of the sovereign God for every second of your life, every breath that you take, every morsel of food? It's kind of embarrassing how we get so arrogant, so proud of ourselves when we put ourselves in the picture of Psalm 104. And when we look to the world, We see the scenery of all the different parts of the world. We see the amazing variety of animals, the resilience of the different ecosystems as the face of the earth is continually renewed even in the midst of of earthquakes. You can see that verses 31 to 32. Earthquakes, volcanoes, fires, and and flames, they they just come from a look or, or a touch of the sovereign God. We need to realize, brothers and sisters, as we confess with with joy, with with a smile on our face, that behind all this scientifically verifiable, all these scientifically verifiable facts and natural occurrences, we we are seeing the handiwork, the love of the sovereign, powerful, creative, caring, and involved creator. All that we see in the world around us can only lift up our hearts to praise the all-surpassing wisdom of our amazing Lord. The good news is that this Creator has done all this. He has spoken to us as His people in His Word so that we can understand, we can enjoy the consequences of knowing that He is the Creator. You see that in our second point, we see His fatherly care as He reaches down to us. There are and there have been many attempts to explain and to interpret all the things that we see around us as they're described in Psalm 104. In just a few minutes of the the Wednesday morning men's Bible study this week, mention was made of creation myths from Peru, head smashed in buffalo jump and the creator that you can read about at that uh, historic tourist site. Mention was made of the pantheistic worldview of many children's Disney's movies and the trend to talk about evolution as if this process was a personal being. 
And then we see that there is nothing new under the sun. And even shortly after the flood, pagan nations around Israel had written down their stories to explain the flood, to explain the creation of the world. We can read these documents today. And when young Christians, often young Christians, and often those at the university level where everyone is, is united in denying that God is creator, when, when some young Christians learn that, that most of these extra-biblical stories use similar phrases to what we find in the Bible, you, you read about other gods riding on the clouds. And a lot of these extra stories, they, they use the generic word for God in their own language. Well, a lot of people have gotten confused. They ask the question. It's a good question. It's good to ask questions. What makes us so sure that we have the truth and that all those other stories throughout the ages, that they're wrong? What makes us sure? Well, the answer comes when we look at the differences. Although it is true that there are many explanations that we could turn to if we wanted to explain our origins, many options that seems available, and that on the surface there are many points of similarity between different explanations, especially among those that attribute creation to a divine personal being, there is one major difference in perspective that has consequences for all our lives. And what is that difference? No other explanation of creation makes the promise that the creator God has graciously sent his son to redeem those who rebelled against him. That he came with the solution to answer our, our greatest need. And he promised to be our eternal father. A father to all who believe in Jesus Christ. All the other myths teach that man is, is just an afterthought or, or a slave to the gods. Or that he is not essentially different from mud. And that he has no special place of honor. And the truth that all religions and pseudo-religions misunderstand in their adaptations and rejections of the creation history. The truth that they all miss is that the creator God of Scripture has chosen to live in an ongoing relationship with his creatures. And he made this relationship real and real possible in his son, Jesus Christ. If you do not know the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not a very nice place to be. Whether we explain what we see around us when we go for a hike on materialistic realities or even if we incorporate some idea of, of spiritual forces of some kind or another into our, our explanation, the themes of all these extra-biblical, outside-of-the-Bible myths and scientific theories is the theme of fatalistic helplessness for people that are caught in the weighty forces of an impersonal power. 
And then they need to appease this power, whether it be called karma, whether it be called chance, whether it be called the processes of evolution. All explanations then can only come from the side of man, from the side of his experience, which Ecclesiastes said is an experience under the sun. They're always limited by the imaginations and the rationalistic explanations of people, humans, creatures. And when we compare this underlying assumption behind all myths and other explanations, when we compare this with what the Lord reveals in, in Psalm 104, we quickly realize that no matter how similar the themes may be, no matter how similar the, the vocabulary may be, Psalm 104 has nothing in common with the other extra-biblical poem or, or legend that you may find out there. And when we see this, brothers and sisters, we, we feel it in our heart, don't we? We want to we shout it out from the rooftop. Look, world. You don't have to live as, as some sort of slave of impersonal forces. But when we try to do that, what do we see? It's discouraged many young people in universities. We see that the good news that God the Creator is our Father in Jesus Christ, it's denied. It's rejected. In the first place, the secular Education and other tools that are being used by modern day brainwashers have made it very difficult for, for people to even begin to see or, or understand that the sovereign God you believe in knows your names and cares for us. But you will see that not only is it difficult to comprehend, it is also an, an undesirable message for many people because our confession that our Father is the creator of heaven and earth, it calls every person to submit to this God. If you're visiting today, still learning about the faith, you need to know that those who profess that the sovereign God is, is creator of heaven and earth, that he's the father of all who believe in Jesus Christ, that the message comes with the call to submit to him. It also means there is punishment for those who don't. We read that in verse 33. Actually, it's 35, verse 35. That's a true promise too. The Lord will punish those who rebel against him. He will judge the wicked who reject all that he has revealed. And for some that's hard to hear because repentance means change of life. And often we find that it's much more desirable or a sinner who wants to continue to live in sin, like we read about in 1 John. It's much more desirable for a sinner who wants to continue to live in sin like a half-evolved animal to blame the forces of nature, to, to continue in, in ignorance rather than confess their sins 
and submit to Jesus Christ in repentance and receive the promise of forgiveness in him. As we share the gospel with people who cannot see because of the darkness, we will see that many of them, not all of them, but many have chosen to ignore their heart's instruction and conscience to dedicate their lives, to deny the existence of a personal God because of their fear. And so they fight valiantly against all the the evidence in nature, the, the power of our God, the evidence in the Word, the evidence in their own hearts, rather than to submit to the Creator of heaven and earth. And then we realize, brothers and sisters, that it is the work of the Holy Spirit that we begin our confession with words that maybe are so common we never even think of them, but I believe in God the Father, almighty creator of heaven and earth. It's only by the grace of God toward us and because of his transforming work in our hearts that we repeat the words of verse 31, may the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. The great comfort for believers when they read Psalm 104 is that the sovereign God, whose power is so beautifully revealed in in, in Psalm 104, that that sovereign God is our Father for the sake of Jesus Christ. When we believe that the Son of God came to the world to bear the consuming wrath of God against our wickedness and our sins, well, then we're taken out of our our blindness in in the kingdom of darkness and we're given eyes to see the eternal King of glory. That's what brings us to our profession, our confession. When we leave the, the noise, the, the cacophony of, of, of the world rebelling against God, a world denying that he is the origin of all things, what do we do? Well, we come into a world of singing and praise for the sovereign creator. Verse 33, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. What a, what a place to be, brothers and sisters, praising the creator. And since we belong to the body of Jesus Christ and we believe that he has purified us in his death, given us new life in his resurrection, well, we can also know that that father of our Lord Jesus Christ is also my God and my father. So we're called sons Daughters of the Most High God in Christ Jesus. And then every time we read something about the power of God, it becomes a great comfort for us. Then then we, we see who is walking with us in the adversity of this life of sorrows. Every time we recognize the sovereign power of our God, we recognize who is holding our hands. When we don't know why certain things happen, the simple knowledge of who it came from gives us great comfort. We are not 
here. We're not where we are because of some impersonal force of nature that swept us along and that's just how things kind of fell. It's also not due to the whims of a capricious or fickle nature God that, that adversity hits us. But all this is happening according to the express will and purpose of the sovereign creator of heaven and earth who knows our names, who loves us in Jesus Christ, his son. The Lord, God Almighty, knows our name. He walks with us as we pass through the adversity, this life of sorrow. And so when we pray to him, how do we start our prayer? We say, our Father in heaven. And when we call him our Father, then, then our, our hearts are lifted up in joy. It's true. It's often very overwhelming and extremely tiring to try and deal with all the sadness of this fallen world that we live in. Just think of all the hardship, the sickness, the death that we've remembered in prayer in the last several weeks. It's tiring. It's hard. And God knows the suffering that you feel in your heart goes beyond even what's mentioned publicly in prayer. Maybe you have not even told your husband or your wife. And then he calls you. Yes, even now, through the preaching of the word this, this afternoon. And we're reminded of our confession. Who do you believe in? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. My Father, who made the universe and everything in it by merely speaking. He knows my name. He has forgiven my sins in the blood of his Son, Jesus Christ. The one who touches mountains and they, they smoke and explode. He knows my name and he loves me. He calls me his child. He provides me with all things necessary for body and soul. And he holds me by the hand as I walk through the journey of life. Do you see the strength, the comfort of the confession that we can make in Jesus Christ? Brothers and sisters, let us hold fast to our confession without swerving so that we can feel the, the weight and the power of its comfort in times of need and in times of plenty. The sovereign creator is a father to all who believe in Jesus Christ. Amen.